Welcome inside to episode two of the Flow House Hoops podcast. Um, I'm Adam Housen, joined alongside my partner, Miguel Flores. Uh, we wanted to thank you guys for all the support you showed last week. A lot of retweets, a lot of people texting us and reaching out and giving us some feedback. So thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, we would appreciate your continued support. I uh, just wanted to let you guys know you could follow myself on Twitter at NBA House. That's at NBA H-A-U-S. And you could follow Miguel at the T-H-E underscore M Flores, M-F-L-O-R-E-S. Um, all right. Well, with that kind of being out of the way, Miguel, uh, crazy weekend in the NBA. Uh, just kind of wanted to throw it to you first and kind of get your uh, your big big picture takeaways. I can already tell you're smiling through uh, <laughs> as you're saying that because as a Laker fan, this weekend couldn't have gone any better for you. And I mean, honestly, I don't see who takes the weekend. Um, for what happened. I mean, it was all Lakers, all LeBron. I mean, this, if you could have scripted how you wanted this weekend to go, that's exactly how you would draw it up. <laughs> um, incredible weekend for the Lakers. Should we read a lot into it? I would say not. I think it was a solid weekend. I think, uh, and we'll get into MVB talk later. I think after this weekend, a couple of things happened. I think LeBron kind of inserted himself into the MVP conversation. He was always kind of like on the outside looking in, but now he's on the doorstep. I'm not saying he's number one right now, but uh, he's on the doorstep. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But as far as just the matchups and what we saw with, with the Lakers, just total domination of the Bucks, which is what I've told you from before. I told you last week, Adam, I never feel like Milwaukee's a serious threat to the Lakers. I don't even think they're a threat to come out of the East. Um, are they one of the best uh, top two teams in the East? Sure. But I don't see them coming out of the East. I think, as you saw in a, a game with the the Lakers, there's a lot of holes in, in that team. There's not a reliable number two score, which we talked where about. Where was Eric Bledsoe? Where was Chris? Where were those guys at? Exactly. And that's where, when it comes to the playoffs, that's what is you're going to have great teams take away your best option. And that's Giannis. And you, he was able to get uh, some numbers, but again, people are going to live with him making an outside 18 foot jumper or shooting from three. They're just not going to let you steamroll, take three steps and dunk it on everyone every single time. It's fine to do that against the bulls against the Cavs, but you're not going to be playing the bulls and the Cavs in the playoffs. You're going to be playing teams with our great defenses, like the Toronto Raptors, the Boston Celtics. And if they are able to get out of the East, you're going to play a clips or a Laker team that are very smart defensively. And one of the better teams, top 10 teams, uh, defensively. So that's not, it's just not going to roll. And I think that was kind of an easy way for the Lakers. And I think it was a statement for LeBron um, in the sense that all the talk has always been Giannis and Giannis, Giannis, best player in the league. He's coming to take the throne. Even in the first game that they played against the Lakers, you saw, you remember, I don't know if you remember, but when Giannis were blown out the Lakers by, I think it was like 20. Um, and uh, I believe Giannis, kind of symbolized putting the crown on his head yes. uh, metaphorically kind of taking away the crown away from LeBron and great players. Don't forget things like that. MJ Brady, those guys remember if you slight them in any sort of way. And then you saw Kuzma put the crown back on LeBron on the bench uh, after that game. So that just kind of shows you that, you know, it, it's it hasn't been forgotten by LeBron and company and the Lakers. I think they just have too much firepower for the Bucks. Defensively, I think they match up very well against them, and it proved that once again, uh, Giannis wasn't able to get off as as well as he usually does. And LeBron took the responsibility to lock up Giannis, which is something that fans have wanted to see. They gave him a lot of flack for it, uh, not doing that against Kawhi, not doing that against Giannis in the first meeting. But he knew this was a couple of primetime matchups. This was sort of a showcase for him. It was a showcase for his MVP voters out there watching these two games. And he, he proved that, you know, he's one of those top guys that he still has the defensive ability to lock up the best players in the league. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think we should just kind of, we'll start with this Bucks game first. And as you said, you and I have spoke countless times about, you know, the the secondary and the third option for the Milwaukee Bucks, and it proved to be a, a problem in the playoffs last year. And I, I don't really know what's going to change this year. I mean, you look at teams like Toronto and Boston, and you know the, you know Boston's got Tatum and Kemba, and Toronto's got Lowry and Siakam, and a bunch of other guys that can that can hurt you from a bunch of different places. But I mean, the story 
I'm going to kind of take it back. The story is about the Lakers. I mean, like you said, they really won the weekend. And, you know, if they lose to Milwaukee there, they're 0-2 against Milwaukee on the season. If they were to lose to the Clippers on Sunday, they would have been 0-3 against them. I was, as a Laker fan, I was hoping, you know, it, it worse to come out of this weekend 1-1. One and one, But I think they really... There's been a lot of chatter out there in the NBA ether about the Lakers not having any any quality wins, and for them to kind of go two and zero and really make a statement this weekend uh, certainly puts them back on the map and among the NBA's elite. I think there was kind of a consensus throughout the season that these were the best three teams, but as I mentioned, the Lakers didn't really have those quality wins, but now they do. Um, I just I feel like the Lakers treated these like playoff games. Um, they did play these, they did play these great two teams back to back. I know the Bucks and the Clippers didn't have that same, um, kind of option there, but they came into these two games with a, with a focus, uh, a mental sharpness. And they really, you could tell that they, they wanted these two and, and they got them. And, uh, 100%. Yeah. And I, I do think though, one thing that I realized in the game on Sunday and, and you and I have spoken about this too, is the Lakers margin for error is much thinner than it is for the Clippers. I think that has to do with the offensive firepower. When you look at the Clippers, they got four guys that are capable of scoring 20 points on any given night, 20 plus. Uh, the Lakers really need AD and LeBron to be firing on all cylinders. I thought AD was a little bit hesitant in the beginning of that game on Sunday. Uh, I really think that sometimes he settles for outside jumpers too much. I want to see him score more in the paint, but all around, just a just a great great weekend for the Lakers. And I mean, as of today, they sit two and a half games back of Milwaukee for the number one overall seed. I mean, they're in strike they're in striking distance, and who knows what's going to happen with with Giannis and this knee sprain. But the Lakers are coming for the league right now. Yeah, you brought it up. I mean, with the Clippers game moving on from the Bucks game, looking at the Clips, I still don't think it changed any of my thoughts of what I think is going to happen in the playoffs. I still think the Clips take the Lakers. Uh, but you you hit the nail on the head. The late it sh- that game showed you that the Clips were not playing well all game, and they were still leading a majority of that way. They let it the times, la- right? Exactly. And even though the Lakers put it put it put their foot on the throat in the third quarter and really overtook them and uh, were able to run away with it. Whereas the Lakers, they really got a hit. Like Avery Bradley hitting six threes was so clutch for them. And that was a guy that I think can be kind of their Pat Beverly in the series to come. I mean, he's a guy, he's a dog. He's one of the better defenders in the league. He's a guy that is capable of hitting the outside shot as he proved hitting six threes in that game. Do I think he's going to hit six threes every single time they play the Clips? Absolutely not. But he's he can hit a high percentage from there. And he's not afraid of the big moments. He's not afraid of playing uh, the team's best uh, perimeter uh, offensive player. He's not afraid of really diving for balls, getting dirty as he picked up a couple of texts, which were, were weak calls by the refs, by the way, yeah. um, in, in that game. But he's a guy that I think is the Lakers kind of found – okay, we can rely on Avery Bradley to play really clutch fourth-quarter minutes for us in the playoffs Yeah, when it's all said and done. And he kind of takes over what Kuzma, what they thought Kuzma could be. But obviously, I don't think they trust Kuzma enough to play those really important fourth-quarter minutes. Yeah, and, and these weren't these weren't convincing wins. They didn't punch, you know, they didn't punch the Bucks and the Clippers in the mouth, but they no, won. No. They, they won, exactly. and they did what they needed to do to kind of get – the respect from NBA fans and, and the rest of the NBA teams. Um, and I personally think, get their confidence up too. I mean, you don't want to go into the playoffs losing 0 for 3. I don't really count this fourth game that's going to be coming up later on, in, I think in April with the Clippers and Lakers, because I think both teams are going to sit a lot of their guys. So I think this is the last time we're legitimately seeing the best Laker version, the best Clippers version uh, of their guys, all healthy, all playing going up against each other because I think the Lakers are playing like three straight games um, and the Clipper game is that third game. So I don't think they're going to be playing a lot of their key guys. They could have the Western Conference and the number one seed locked up by then. So I just don't think that's going to be an important game. But you don't want to go in there when you've played your best and be 0 for 3 going into the playoffs against the Clips. And then let's say you were to get by them and play the Bucks and be 0 for 2 in the regular season series. You want to let that other team know like, hey, this ain't going to be a cakewalk. We're a legitimate threat to you guys as well. And you got to think about us just as much as we think about you guys. 
Yeah, and I was kind of like, I had it in my back pocket. I was thinking of, was it 2010 or 11, the year, the year that D-Rose won the MVP, when the Bulls swept the Heat in the regular, did they beat them three times or four? They beat them. They were, yeah, they beat them three times. The Bulls, and were they beat them, and every single game was like a one-possession game during the regular right. season. And then, and then the playoffs, beat them, was, what, four to one or four to two in the po- Four to one in the postseason. Yeah. They the Bulls blew them out in game one. The Heat blew them out in the game the series clincher. But I think it was games two through four were I think within one possession. Yeah. The, they were the lot the the wins and losses were separated by I think like seven total points or something like crazy like that. So yeah, it, and I kind of had that, that in my back pocket. I was thinking like, okay, if we lose this one, then for some reason we lose the fourth one. Yeah, you four. Had that okay, well, like it's, there's a blueprint. It's it's been done before, I guess, but. It really felt good to get that win. And then another thing I was thinking about, too, is there's a lot of talk about just the Clippers' um, flexibility and how they can create a lot of matchup problems. But I do think there's one thing to be said about having a set foundation of an established identity. And I think that's what the Lakers have above all else. They know who they are. Uh, They've been a top-five offensive and defensive team all year. I think one thing, too, that's getting sold pretty short is the Lakers' coaching staff. I mean, Vogel's always been a defensive-minded coach. Lionel Hollins, the assistant coach, you, you saw what he built down in Memphis in, in the you know, 2012, 13, like 2015 or 16. They were always defensive-minded teams. And then Jason Kidd, he had a little bit of success in his first year in Milwaukee uh, with the Bucks uh, as far as their defensive ranks. But everybody knows his pedigree as a player. And he kind of, you know, he he most of his game was predicated on his defensive skills. So I think that the Lakers are being sold short defensively, and I think why they're hanging around in many of these games when AD and LeBron don't have it. No, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, defensively is where they hang their hat on, and I think now, I think since the All Star break, per one hundred possessions, their average, they're allowing opponents to score. I think a hundred point six points a game, which before the All Star game, per one hundred possessions, they were at like one hundred six point two or something like that. So that's like a six point difference since the All Star break. So you could tell the defenses have really ratcheted up. And on that pace, if the Lakers remain there, they're going to finish a top five defense in the league. And I don't think uh, LeBron has had a top five defense. I think the the one time he did was 2011, were, 2011 Heat when they won the title yeah. against the Thunder, and then he had it one other time. I want to say it was with the Cavs. Okay, um, but I'm not positive on that. I know the first one he was with the Heat uh, with their first title run. Yeah, but again, that just shows you like with a with a re- great defense. LeBron can figure things out. And I think that's one of the most disappointing parts about the performance was for me with the Clippers was defensively, they allowed LeBron to just get whatever he wanted and get to the rim. They were building around Kawhi, Paul George, Marcus Morris, uh, and Harold really being able to make things extremely difficult for LeBron. And they didn't make, I mean, it was a really easy game for LeBron. Just watch them. He was able to get to the rim whenever he wanted. He was able to find whoever he was looking for with open shots. And it just looked like the Clippers were just never really there defensively. They were scrambling a lot. Uh, I think there was a couple of red flags in the sense for the Clippers point of view is Lou Williams. If he doesn't have a shot going, he can't play in the fourth quarter. That, that was one of the things. And you saw LeBron hunting him every single time he was switching either on him or Avery Bradley or anyone he was switching off on, he was looking to get them the the ball because they have very little respect for Lou Williams defensively. So I think he's one of those guys where he's a, he's a hit or miss type of a player where if he's hitting his shots, then I guess you can sacrifice him to keep him, try to shadow him on defense. But if he's not making his shots, he's going to have to grab the bench. Same thing with Patrick Beverly. He really brought nothing to the table for the Clippers. He wasn't hitting the shots. He defensively didn't really have an impact like he did in the previous two matchups against the Lakers. So if he's not really making an impact defensively, what good is he doing out there for? And and, and cl- with the Clippers as well, too, I, I just think there's a you could sense there was a lot of little chemistry issues. Guys didn't know who was going to take the shot, wh- what the offense was flowing. It was very choppy. Right. A lot of isolation basketball. They I think they only had 12 assists for the entire game. So that just shows you guys really weren't passing. They weren't really hitting their shots. 
I think they're still figuring each other out and they got to figure that, that stuff out soon because playoffs are about 20 games away and they have the talent. If they can put it all together, I still think they're the favorites in the West. But again, there's just a couple of things that I didn't like from what I was seeing as for the Lakers. Yes, it was all fine and well, but Anthony Davis, like I was saying on Sunday, he's a guy that if he continues, they were able to get away with it on Sunday, but if he continues to just be cool, staying on the outside, shooting the threes, shooting the 18 foot jumpers and not really imposing his will down low and, and hammering the offensive glass. The Clippers out rebounded the Lakers, which shouldn't happen ever when the Lakers are playing the Clippers with the height that the Lakers possess. If Anthony Davis can't really get physical, I think that's going to be a major problem because I don't see LeBron doing this every single game in a playoff series against the Clippers. Yeah, I think one thing, too, that I hit on earlier, just kind of like the Lakers identity, I think the Clippers are really still establishing theirs. And you mentioned Lou Williams. When him, when Lou Williams, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George are on the court together, I mean, there's only so many shots to go around. And the Lakers really found that inefficiency in the Clippers lineup and, and, and went right at Lou Williams. The Lakers were really scheming their offense around avoiding Kawhi Leonard and avoiding Paul George. I mean, you watch, you rewatch some of the plays in the third and fourth quarter there. They were just running high ball screens and trying to get, you know, Harrell and Lou Williams in the mixer with LeBron and Caldwell Pope or, or LeBron and Bradley and just kind of try to spread out Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and kind of put them on the wings so they can, you know, LeBron can get a straight angle right down the middle of the lane. And uh, like I said, the Clippers, they've had their injuries this year. They haven't spent a lot of time together. When they have, they've been successful. But I just think the Lakers are so cohesive as a unit. There's been a lot made about their chemistry and how they love playing together this year. And uh, it was a signature win for them that they that they desperately needed uh, for themselves and their confidence uh, and for the fan base. Um, I just kind of wanted – there's a lot of MVP chatter heating up too, obviously, right now. Um, what LeBron, for me, he's been on Giannis's heels for – you know, a good part of the season. I've always thought it was closer than most. Maybe be, there, maybe there's a little bit of bias there. I can't say. I'll leave that up to, uh, to you <laughs> to decide. But um, when you look at all the metrics and, and the statistics, Giannis, is, he dwarfs LeBron. Um, there seems to be kind of this narrative, though, and a little bit of a campaign for LeBron to win his fifth MVP. People are bringing up the age and, and you know, and how impressive that's been for him. If if this is Giannis's MVP to lose, right? I mean, is is LeBron close, or how do you kind of see this thing going right now? If you would have asked me maybe a month ago, I would have said this is not close at all. But I think over the last month or so, LeBron's really kicked it in a high gear, and I I I, I get how people are all about the narrative where he's thirty four years old, seventeenth year, Wash King, this and that. Um, and now the Lakers are number one. I think it's more important to say if the Lakers are over to overtake the Bucks as it's having the best record in the NBA, I think that would be the most important thing for MVP voters because the narrative shouldn't mean anything because like you're right. When you look at the numbers, PER, I mean, LeBron's still at 25.9 in PER and Giannis is at 31.7. So that's a drastic uh, drop off right there with Giannis obviously being the clear uh, front runner of that. He's got 20, I mean, 29 and a half points. Averaging close to 13 uh, or close to 14 rebounds, about six assists. I mean, you're right. He dwarfs LeBron in a lot of the important statistical categories. And he's better. And he's having a better season this year than he had last year. And when you're the defending MVP and you're upping your game another level, right? I mean, that's hard to surpass. And MVP voters like to give it to guys that give them trophies in bunches. As we see a lot of players won back-to-back, Steph Curry won back-to-back, Steve Nash won back-to-back. So when you look at the numbers, yes, everything points to Giannis. However, most MVP is most valuable player. It's me, the most valuable player in the league is LeBron James. I mean, he's... What so he's been able to do with more, the Lakers. You're at a more on a league-wide scale than you are a team-specific scale. I I, I am. I still okay. I would still give it to Giannis. Yeah. Because of the ridiculous numbers he has and just how big of a lead he had at the beginning of the year, but LeBron is really this this week and, and the past couple of weeks he's really inch closer. It's almost like the final hundred meters of a race, 
and Giannis is still ahead by a couple of meters, but LeBron is coming up hot and heavy. So if you're to tell me, let's say this knee injury that that Giannis right. has sustained, he misses he misses some games here. He misses five yeah. seven games. Lakers take the one seed. Exactly. If he misses five to seven games, and the Bucks really start to reel, the Lakers come out strong. They take care of business. They overtake the one seed overall in the NBA and finish with the best record in the NBA. It's hard not to, at that point, not to give it to LeBron. One, for the fact that Giannis was hurt and missed a lot of games. LeBron would obviously have played more than him, a handful of more than him. And his team, Giannis can't rely on the, my team is better than your team anymore because LeBron's got the best, better team record. The only thing Giannis would have to hang his hat on is like, I have no other top five NBA type of player. Right. And that's the only thing that could potentially hold LeBron back. But I think this is still before it was kind of a case closed type of MVP race when it was, yeah, Giannis is MVP. There should be no discussion about it. But now I think the discussion after this week has opened up. I but think Giannis it's, is, go ahead. Yeah, I think it just kind of became stale and, and it was kind of the perfect timing of, you know, the last, instead of the last 20, 22 games here. Two primetime games, LeBron gets two victories, plays well in both of them. One happened to be, be versus Giannis. So I just think the timing, and we tend to magnify the end of the season a little bit more. Uh, you know, it's a long 82-game season. When we kind of get down to the final quarter of the season here, um, I think people start to try to drive and push new narratives just to kind of spice things up a little bit. Um, I think that there is some legitimacy to, you know, LeBron creeping up on him. But I'm really curious to see how this thing kind of unfolds because Giannis just sprained his knee. It sounds like he might be playing on Thursday. They have the number one seed locked up. Do they you know, take precaution and just keep him on the bench and hold him out for another week just to be safe and, and not be sorry later? And then for the Lakers, I mean, they have a six-and-a-half game lead on the Clippers. LeBron's voiced his, his want to play in every single game this year, but – I mean, not even for MVP's sake, if he's going to go for it or not, if he sees Giannis sitting out games, but just for the sake of him being himself and being healthy by the time the playoffs come. I mean, if you're the Lakers, you really don't want to risk anything with LeBron. I mean, we saw what happened with the groin injury last year. So I think this is going to be a little bit of an MVP chess match in a way, if you will. And it's going to be curious to kind of see what both of these teams do with their star players. Giannis probably wants that second MVP award. I don't think LeBron, I don't want to say he doesn't care. I think he's more concerned about winning the championship and being healthy, but and who I knows? think he's more concerned about getting the best record in the NBA because he knows how difficult it is in the finals to be on the road for right. four games. Yeah. And you never know. You want a game seven in Staples. Yeah. That's exactly what it comes down. And I think that's more important to him than MVPs because he knows he's been screwed out over a couple of MVPs in the past that he, he probably felt he should have won. Um, I mean, MJ was the same way. There is a, you, if you could have given Michael the MVP award every single season, that he was playing and he didn't get it. You know, yeah. Charles Barkley got it one year. Olajuwon got it another. Year. So, I mean, he knows that, you know, MVPs are great, but he's all about titles and rings now towards the later end of his career. Does he want it? I think if he realizes it's in striking distance and Giannis is sitting out, like you said, a week or two weeks, then he might turn it up and try to try to go for it. But I don't think he's that's a number one priority for him. I think number one priority for him is getting the best record in the NBA. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you're right. But that is that's kind of baked in there. Right. So if they if they Lakers do want to play and try to go for that number one seed, then LeBron's going to be going balls out. I mean, he's not going exactly. to hold back and they're not going to be resting him. How important is that number that number one overall seed? to the Lakers in the big picture. I mean, do they, is it worth, is it worth, is it worth playing AD and LeBron big minutes in these closing games? If you already have the Western conference one seed locked up to try to get the number one overall seed, or do you kind of take a, you got to take a wait and see approach here. I think kind of these next five, seven games, right? The Lakers have, I think the Bucks have 17. They've played three more games. The Bucks have 17 games left. The Lakers have 20. The Lakers are two and a half back. So I think it'd probably be in their best interest to kind of see how these next four, six games go, yeah. maybe, and then kind of make your decision from there. 
Exactly. I, I don't think it's that important to the Lakers. I think LeBron would say it's important and they're going to go for it if it's there and, and they want it. But just from the outside looking in, I don't think the Lakers need the number one, the best record and to be going, having home court advantage in the finals at Staples. I think they can beat whoever on the road. They've proved to be a really good road team. The Bucks, I think it's more important for them to lock it up because if they were to escape out of the East, and get to the finals, I think they're going to need every single advantage that they can get because they only have one true star in Giannis, and they don't. They need the home court. They need the fans on their side. They need four games in the Fisser Forum. They're going to need everything to, yeah. to cater to whoever, whether it's the Lakers or the Clips. Now, yeah. before you know, we move on, I wanted to bring up, you know, a couple of additions were made for both the Clips and the Lakers. Uh, Joe Kim Noah, my guy getting in on, on, on the clips and he was officially signed to a 10 day deal. That contract's probably going to be turned into the rest of the season. And then obviously the, the Lakers made it official with Dion waiters, um, giving them another ball creator. What do you think was, is more impactful is joking Noah signing to the clips more important than the waiters or vice versa. I mean, these are just two great organizations identifying what they need for the, for the stretch run here and going after it. Uh, it seems like the Lakers were a little bit more definitive in, in locking up waiters for the remainder of the season. Uh, I mean, I love Joe Kim Noah. I know you're obviously you're a massive Bulls fan, but the guy played harder than almost any player I've ever seen play. And to see a guy like that who's still, you know, getting after it and, and doing everything he can to, to get one more shot in the league to be rewarded with a 10-day. I mean, you know how many guys that are his age that have had the career he's had that wouldn't even that would have too much pride to even take a 10-day contract. I mean, I'm just rooting for Noah. He's a guy that I've always rooted for. And he fills a great need for the for the Clippers. They need a defensive center, a tall tree that can stand in the lane and kind of clog things up because Zubak and uh Jamichael Green and Mo Hark and uh, excuse me, Zubak, Jamichael Green, and Montrez Harrell just uh, you know, aren't aren't seeming to be getting it done. Um, as for the Lakers, I mean, you watch that game on Sunday. Rajon Rondo's in there with the second unit doing most of the ball handling. That's going to be a lot of Deion Waiters now. You know, you see a lot of Rondo running around, dribbling the rock, trying to find cutters. And sometimes teams just know how to defend that. And it's just the offense gets pretty stale. Between adding Markeith Morris and Deion Waiters, I mean, the Lakers' second unit can at least play teams to a net zero. So I think that that is a great signing. And I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing what Waiters can bring for this ball club. Who's more important, do you think? Who was the bigger signing? I guess I didn't answer your question. I would say I would say Waiters is the better signing because he has the potential to be their third leading scorer. I think he still has that potential. I'm going to go the opposite. I think it was Joe Kim Noah because I think simply he was brought in for the AD, and that's the only reason. Uh, I don't think he'll get a lot of minutes against like a Houston Rockets if they match up with them in the playoffs. I think Noah is a guy that he could come in for 10 to 15 minutes and he has potential to be a, a, a havoc on the glass. He's going to have a ton of energy. He didn't play at all this season. So it's not like he's going to be alien in, in any way. He's got all the energy in the world. He didn't play a full NBA season. Like a lot of these other guys, he's going to be able to have the energy, even though he's older and not, nowhere near of the Joe that we saw when he was with the bulls and the defensive player of the year. He's still a guy that, even though he might not be as athletic, athletic, he's positionally, defensively, knows exactly where he needs to be on the court he's at smart. all times. Yep. And he is such a big defensive anchor. He's kind of like when uh, KG was with with uh, Boston when he wasn't the KG of old or when, when uh, KG was with Brooklyn, where he's a guy that's going to be yelling in the back of all these guys' heads and letting them know exactly where they need to be defensively to set up and really maximize their defensive potential. And one of the other things that you might, might've missed was, but Doc Rivers, Tom Thibodeau are two guys that obviously have a very close relationship. Joe Kim Noah is very close to Tom Thibodeau. You don't think Doc Rivers called Tom Thibodeau to make sure that, Hey, Joe, what has he got left? Can, do you think I can rely on him? If we were to bring him in here to the clips, is he someone that can play a factor and guarantee Tom Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau told him, He's a guy that you can bring in and he'll give you 15 minutes and he can maybe get like 10 boards, get a couple of dirty buckets and really make make it a nightmare for guys like AD 
that's really going to harass him. And he's got six fouls. He's not going to be a guy where you're going to try to protect his foul situation. He's going to use all six fouls against a guy like AD. And if AD is going to want to play that soft outside type of game, then that's going to bring trouble for AD because Joe Kim Noah is a guy that athletically can defend the outside on the perimeter against him. Yeah, and I think you you hit the nail on the head right there. Even if he doesn't have the you know the lateral quickness, or if he doesn't have the endurance, he's gonna be a bruiser. And and we've seen Anthony Davis kind of you know at times drift out to the three point line, uh, to the elbow, and kind of you know initiate his offense from from far away from the basket. So when push comes to shove, if AD wants to bang on the block, this is a total chess move by the Clippers. They're just gonna throw in Noah. And they're going to, you know, like you said, he's going to give him three or four hard fouls and, and beat him up and, and try to, you know, shove AD down to the ground. Uh, the only question then becomes, what is, is he going to be a liability on offense, right? And there's always, there's always two sides of the coin. Um, and that's the, that's the same thing for waiters. And I think the big thing with these two guys is there's only 20 games left. How quickly are they going to be able to get acclimated, build that chemistry? Um, yeah. But these are, I mean, Noah, like I said, he's a guy I root for some. Unfortunately, he's going to be playing for the Clippers, who I'm not a big fan of. But um, hopefully, I love it, it though. As yeah, Bulls fan, like yeah. it is. I I cannot wait for the playoffs and for Joe Kim to just be clapping in LeBron's face or or <laughs> dealing. Right. This is what Joe lives for. He lives to play against LeBron. He right. lives to play against. And I don't know if you heard the podcast with him and uh, uh, when he was on part of my take uh, earlier, but just talking about those playoff battles he had with LeBron. Um, you say he never had anything against them, but he just hated, you know, he hated them when they were in a playoff series because, you know, it was him or it was him or the Bulls, you know, it was uh, mano a mano. And, and that's one of the matchups he lived for. And he gets one more shot to dethrone LeBron. And, and I would love to see Joe in that type of playoff playoff atmosphere in that type of series. I mean, look at the characters that are going to be in that series. <laughs> I mean, you, you have the silent assassin in Kawhi. You have LeBron, obviously. You got AD, Rajon Rondo. You got Joe Kim Noah, Montrez Harrell, Pat Beverly. I mean, these are loud, other than Kawhi, these are loud, boisterous personalities. You got the Morris twins um, yeah. going, going head-to-head. I mean, there could be some suspensions in a playoff series with how physical these guys are going to get and everything on the line. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to be a, a dramatic playoff series. And I think that's so fitting for uh, TNT to have the Western conference finals this year. Cause their old slogan, or I think their slogan still is we know drama. Um, yeah. Do you but, think yeah, that I mean, this, this win on the Sunday against the, the clips, did that kind of ease your mind going into a, a series potentially with the Clippers? Or did you not really take that much into that game? No, because, like, the regular season, you could, I, everybody always says, you know, at the end of the day, you could throw it out the window. It doesn't matter when the playoffs start. You know, everybody's zero and zero. But I think kind of the last leg of the regular season is when teams really start you know, figuring out who they are and understanding their style of play and guys start to get really familiar with one another. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that I, I didn't, that wasn't a massive game for the Lakers. I mean, it was huge for their confidence. I didn't want to go into the playoffs having not beaten that team. I know they have one more game towards the end of the season, but um, I, I don't want to blow it out of proportion. Uh, the Clippers still have their number at the end of the day, but I think the Lakers kind of, created a blueprint for themselves and showed themselves the best way to go about beating the Clippers. Um, and that is the kind of, you know, like they did, they manipulated the end of the game with Lou Williams and kind of getting him in high ball screens and kind of playing away from Kawhi and Paul George. I don't know if you noticed, but I feel like Kawhi wasn't, he still kind of got his numbers, but he didn't seem like he was mentally locked into that game. It didn't seem like he kind of had that dog and that fight in him. There, there's a couple of guys in that game on the Clippers side of things that I just they didn't. Uh, the Lakers obviously like, wanted uh, him, all right? You can... it, it, exactly. Yeah, I think it was a bigger game for the Lakers. I think the Clips looked at it, even though they played like it was a playoff game. I don't think it was as important to them as it was for the Lakers. I think the Lakers wanted the game to prove to themselves that hey, we can beat the Clippers. This is. You know, everyone's always we hear the expert opinions. We hear everyone picking the Clippers over us that they don't think we have the fight or the dog in us to, to beat a team like the Clippers. We let, let's show them that we can do that and we can make the Clippers yeah. look bad. And I think other than maybe Harold 
and uh, Paul George, no one else in the Clippers really had a good game. I think you know, Kawhi, like you said, he had 27 points, but he had no assists and two boards. I mean, that's that's pathetic numbers for Kawhi. Uh, <laughs> Lou, Williams, Lou Williams had an awful game, didn't hit any of his shots, and was just kind of a, a detriment to their team rather than being that offensive, explosive power off the bench. Pat Beverly was nowhere near the impact that he had in the first two games. So I think the Clippers had a lot going wrong for them in, in that game as far as guys just not playing up to their standard. Yeah, I came away from that game thinking like, okay, if the playoffs started on Monday, like the Lakers are ready. And yeah. I came, and then my on the other side, I kind of felt like the Clippers to me are kind of like a flip a switch team. And and I know it's just one game, and it, sometimes you know teams don't have it on that day or whatever. But the Clippers strike me as that team that when they got it going and that switch is on, they're the best team in the league. Um, but if they don't, the, the, as the Lakers prove that they're a beatable team. Um, but I just think, and, I, I, God, and this is this is a series where I mean, again, like everyone, it's the overreaction of, oh, the Clippers lost, so now the Lakers got the number. Or when the, the before this game, when the Clippers beat they're them twice, they're all they're dominant. You know, so it's just like these teams are neck and neck talent wise. They got. Equal amounts of talent. I do favor the Clips over the Lakers a bit. But if anyone thought that the Clippers are going to beat them three times in the regular season and then sweep them in the Western Conference Finals, you got another thing coming. Guys are going to win games. You're going to have the Lakers win. This series is going to be a six or seven game type of a series. Right. This is not going to be one team blowing out a, another in a series. This ain't the Warriors of with Durant, Cur- Curry, Clay, and Draymond. But I, I wonder, though, like, it seemed it seemed as if the Lakers had to I don't know if I want to say overexert themselves, but they were scratching and clawing to win that game. And it's still even at the very end, like the Clippers were like one three pointer away from maybe making that thing interesting in the last two or three yeah. minutes. And I just kinda wonder like or were the Lakers trying to get a mental edge and send a message and say, like, hey, like, you know, Le- LeBron and A D were taking charges. Guys were, you know, stepping up to Take LeBron charges. was diving and on the floor. LeBron was diving on the floor, and it's just like maybe they're trying to create and establish that mentality and, and send a message to the Clippers and just say, like, hey, like by any means necessary, we're here. We know you guys got the finesse players and the scorers, but we're going to beat you ugly. And I, I, that was kind of another thing I took away from yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think it was a small message. And you even saw in the reaction LeBron had at the end of the game when they kind of knew it was all wrapped up. Oh, he was pumped. and one. Exactly, and he doesn't do that in every game. He doesn't get that, you know, type of reaction. That just shows you the type, the meaning that game had for him and the Lakers. And like he said, if it was a more important game for the Lakers just to prove to themselves and to prove to everyone and the Clippers that, hey, we're here and don't think like you're going to be able to run through us and bully us and, and to get a win and, and beat us in a playoff series. We're here and we can handle it and we're going to give it right back to you. So yeah. it was sort of a message sent. I think it's been heard. But again, adjustments are going to be made, and the playoffs are going to be neck and neck with these two. Yeah, I mean, oh god, we we need those two to play in the playoffs. I think whoever, if they play in the Western Conference Finals, whoever wins that series will win the NBA championship. One thousand percent. That's for yeah. the title, in my opinion. Uh, like I said, I want everyone to be healthy, and I want them to meet in the Western Conference Finals. That's all I want. I, I don't want them to meet in Western <laughs> Conference Finals, and. Paul George, you know, is out for the series or AD hurts his back and he's done, you know, because then it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same. We'll still watch and it'll still be fun. Um, they'll still have battles, but it, I want both teams fully healthy and fully ready to go and unleash everything they got on each other. I mean, that's, that is like you said, the NBA finals, the real NBA finals. See, this is why I love you. Look how much energy you got, even when your team's out of it. I mean, I'm the same way, like the <laughs> Lakers the last five or six years that haven't been in the playoffs. It's so much different when your team is like in the thick of it and has a chance. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you gotta you gotta support the association no matter what, right? Of course, of course. And and speaking of the association, you know, moving on off from teams that are championship contenders into a team that made a drastic move, a move that I don't think you or I saw coming at all when uh, the Brooklyn Nets fired Kenny Atkinson uh, over the weekend in what many considered that he did a really fine job with that young Brooklyn Nets team and really bringing them up, building up their young stars. 
doing things that he did for Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen and and uh, uh, who else? D'Angelo Russell, who had a great Joe year Harris, Karis LeVert. Exactly, right? a lot yeah. of the young guys. You know, um, what was your reaction when you, you saw the news? I think I was I was surprised, just like everybody else. Um, they said they mutually agreed to part ways. Right? I've read this is. It always happens like this when teams say mutually agree to part ways and then you'll read fired somewhere. So who really knows the real story? Um, but yeah, as you, as you mentioned, the player development from Atkinson has kind of been his big thing. He turned, he was responsible or partly responsible for helping, you know, turn D'Angelo Russell's career around last year and, and get him into his first all-star game. Karis Levert, Joe Harris, Jared Allen. I mean, so many of these guys he really built a culture there the last couple of years. They went to the playoffs last year and lost to the Sixers. Um, Kyrie only played 20 games this year, and he had him playing pretty competitively. Maybe he lost the locker room. Maybe his voice. He kind of seems like one of those rah-rah guys, but he had the respect, right? Like He's not like Jim Boylan, who's, who's a rah-rah, yeah, exactly. blue-collar. But Kenny Atkinson's kind of – he proved last year that his way worked, and it got him into the playoffs, and it seemed like they were on the right trajectory. Unfortunately, Irving got hurt this year. But to me, I'm just kind of looking at this like, I know there's some reports going around that Irving and Durant had nothing to do with this. I don't know whether I believe that or not, but what I do know is I don't think either of these guys probably batted an eyelash when this happened. My, my guess no. is that he wasn't there. No, they weren't, you know, Kenny Atkinson wasn't KD and Kyrie's number one choice. And he wasn't their last, so they're. My guess is they're probably indifferent about it. Yeah, I don't. I don't. To say that they had nothing to do with this is is a joke. I think. I think they had everything to do with this. Yeah. And and I don't think Kenny Atkinson. I mean, there's a report that's saying that he didn't want to play them. He didn't want to coach them either. You know, because he knew um, how it was. Atkinson, you could see when Irving would get hurt. And the Brooklyn Nets were playing led by Spencer Dinwiddie. They were more successful. They were having, you know, a good time. And I think Atkinson had the respect of those guys from last year's team, like the Joe Harris's and uh, the Jared Allen's and the Spencer Dinwiddie's, because they saw what he was able to do with them and take them to the playoffs and and, uh, put up a really good first round series uh, against the Sixers. So they, they respected him as a coach and they believed in him. But again, who makes the shots in the NBA? It's the star players. And if the star players can't get behind the coach, then the coach is out. And I think Kenny Atkinson saw the writing on the wall. He tried to, I think, coach Kyrie, but in the, the several games and the several practices that they had. But I think even he saw that, you know, this ain't working. Like, I, Kyrie's a guy that we're going to butt heads. He doesn't listen. And this is not the first coach he hasn't listened to. He didn't listen to Brad Stevens. Uh, the only other coach he listened to was Ty Lue. Um, who I think will probably be the replacement in Brooklyn if that's the route they're going to go for. But yeah, Kyrie and Durant, I think I, maybe more so Kyrie over Durant because Durant's hurt right now. But yeah. I think they had everything to do with th- this coaching change. Let me ask you something on that point right there because I think we've seen this play out a couple of other times. Um, is it Are we setting a dangerous precedent? Not we, but is the league setting a dangerous precedent with – you know, these blue collar coaches who want to practice a lot and who aren't afraid to get in their players' faces, who aren't afraid to make a move and bench a guy in the fourth quarter or bench a guy for missing practice. And obviously we know this is a player's league, but if we lose that entirely, I don't think the league's gonna gonna be in a good place one day. What do you what do you kind of how do you see this situations like these kind of playing out? Well, I think we're already there at that point. I think we're already everyone knows that the 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 league is run by the players. It's not yeah. run by the coaches. They don't unless like we said, unless you're Greg Popovich. Maybe like Popovich, Phil, Stevens, Phil, ja- Phil Jackson, Brad Stevens who's shown he his method works. It's successful. Um, but a lot of guys they end up wearing out their their welcome. And I think it takes a couple of years or a strong front office to tell like Pat, like a Pat Riley, when, you know, there were rumors that LeBron wanted spell our exposure out of there. Yeah. And it took Pat Riley to be like, no, this is your coach. You deal with him and he's going to be here for the duration of your career here as a, 
as a Miami Heat teammate. So uh, I think it takes a strong front office to just be like, no, you, th- this ain't happening. You're under contract and you're going to listen to whatever he says and what says goes. But I think we're at the day and age where um, not every front office is like Pat Riley, who has the pedigree and has the kind of strength and courage to to stand up to a LeBron James in his prime. Right. You know, a lot of front offices in that situation. Let's go back to that situation. If you were to have, uh, you know, let's say a Memphis Grizzlies front office with LeBron James and Eric Spolstra in that situation, LeBron goes to them and be like, hey, you got to get rid of Spol. They're like, okay, we're getting rid of Spol. Right. The Cavaliers, Cleveland Cavaliers, when LeBron wanted to get rid of David Blatt, they're like, oh, yep, for sure. Whatever you want, we'll get rid right. of David Blatt, you know? So, so, so I, it sounds like you're saying you almost got to kind of prove your pedigree to, to get a voice, right? I mean, is, is that similar? I mean, that's what it takes to gain players' respect nowadays. Right. I mean, pe- yeah. look at Spolstra is now considered one of the best coaches in the league because of how I'm able to finally get rings. Yeah. Popovich, the same way, you know, what he did with the Spurs and, and Duncan. And that's why everyone buys in when they go into the San Antonio system. Uh, but in this scenario, though, like you're not in this scenario, Atkinson will have never even. And I know you mentioned there was that rumor going around that he didn't. It's what he was saying that he didn't even want to deal with kind of the egos. Was that there was one of the stories out there? Um, I don't know if it was from uh, Shams um, yeah. or. Uh, but that Wojnowski. was the gist of it is that he just was. That he, yeah, he mutually agreed to part ways because he also knew what was coming, that he was probably going to be fired. And okay. He also didn't mesh. They appears with Kyrie. That's just yes. the rumors. Um, but again, like like we said, I mean, it, a lot of these guys, like the Kenny Atkinsons, uh, are going to have to prove themselves. And you can take a young team when they have no stars. That's why he was so successful right. the last couple of years because those guys – you know, had never had any success. So they had a buy-in and listen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It feels like he was kind of, he was finding his voice. We're talking about kind of, you know, having to prove your worth. He was doing this organically, right? He took over a bad team, got them into the playoffs after two years for the first time. Obviously, they're in the playoff picture right now. They have a losing record. I think they're sitting at the sixth or seventh seed. Kyrie only played 20 games. But as we we're just saying, like it feels like he was kind of climbing the ladder, you know, respectfully in the way that a coach is supposed to do it in order to kind of earn that respect, and then he just gets hosed. So I mean, <laughs> what, what, yeah. what gives, right? I mean, no, one thousand uh, percent. But now, I mean, now that he's gone, the next coach is gonna yeah, be where are they going? exactly. I. Ty Lu, who I suggested earlier, I think he's the perfect fit for them. I think he's the one of the very, very few guys that could come in and demand Kyrie's respect because I think that's where it all starts. If Kyrie's unhappy, he has already proven that he can be very destructive and ruin a team chemistry and ruin an organization on his own because of the amount he's getting paid, what he, what the talent that he possesses, so he's going to be on the court all the time. I think Ty Lue is a guy that Kyrie definitely respected. They were able to win a title in Cleveland. Kyrie respected him, or, or Ty Lue re- like respected Kyrie so much that he gave him the game-winning shot in Game 7 of the Finals against Golden State. He gave him the ball, and he let him run with the keys. And I think that, in Kyrie's mind, um, really won him over that, you know what, this is a guy that trusts me with the ball, with the guy with like LeBron James on my team. Yeah, in Game Seven of the NBA Finals against the Golden State Warriors, Ty Lue looked at me and he gave me the ball and gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted, and obviously it paid off and with Cleveland winning the title. So I think that meant a lot to Kyrie, and I think Kyrie would respect Ty Lue immediately if he were to come in. And Ty Lue, again, he's no slouch of a coach. He's a great coach. He's a guy that could come in, demand stars respect. He's been in all those playoff battles. He's won a title. So everyone would pretty much fall in line behind Kyrie and KD, and I think they'd listen to Tyler. Yeah, I think he's a guy that certainly makes sense. He's proven he could win a championship. He's proven that he could handle. Uh, there were some bumps in the road in Cleveland with Kyrie and LeBron at the end, but he's kind of proven that he can handle the big personalities. Um, I think another guy that's starting to get some traction, at least in the media, for this position is Phil Handy, the Lakers' assistant coach. Uh, he was a player development coach with the Lakers around 2010, 2011. And then he was an assistant coach with Cleveland for about five years un- and towards the end of it under Ty Lue. Um, and from everything I've read, 
Ty Lue and Phil Handy are, are, are pretty close to this day. Uh, a lot of the Lakers players currently speak glowing. DeMarcus Cousins, Kyle Kuzma speak glowingly about Phil Handy's kind of hands-on approach. Uh, and he's a guy that'll, you know, sweat out there in pregame workouts with you to try to help you get better and really improve your game. So he might be a guy that's out there. I saw some stuff about Jason Kidd. I don't I don't know if that reunion really makes sense for me. Yeah, the only Jason Kidd is a guy that obviously had a very tumultuous coaching career over with Milwaukee. Apparently, though, rumors are that Giannis really respects Jason Kidd. And I don't know if you're looking at bigger picture and maybe if Giannis opts out and they have a Jason Kidd who Giannis respects, maybe they can make a run at Giannis. Who knows? But that could be one way of looking at, at it. But I don't think Phil Handy would work just for the simple fact that I don't think he'd have the respect, even though he's got respect of a lot of guys in, in, in the league. For Kyrie and Katie, I think you need someone a little bit more established who's proven it. And what better option than Ty Lue, who's coached Kyrie before? Um, and they could run a similar system with KD playing the LeBron-type role and Kyrie um, playing off of him as well and kind of being two equals on one head. So I think that is one that um, that I believe he they, that's the route they should go. Mark Jackson's another name I hear potentially. He's always in the coaching search but for whatever reason he's never able to lock down an interview or a job i don't know if he's blacklisted or what <laughs> um but he's another name that i think would um respect gain the respect of a guy like Kyrie and katie yeah i mean this this franchise right i mean you think about this franchise coming out of the summer i mean they had everything going their way obviously they knew kevin durant was going to be shelved for uh you know the whole year but now with Irving missing, you know, the rest of the season with surgery, they're going to the playoffs. They're probably, my guess is they're not going to fare very well in the first round, maybe win a game just like last year. Yeah. So I think internally and, and the fan base is probably chalking this, this year up as a wash. Truthfully, I'm not going to hide behind this prediction. I picked Sean Marks to win GM of the year. Um, I just thought, I thought Irving going over there with DeAndre Jordan was, you know, those two veterans, Irving's obviously had his problems in the media with, with things that he says, he, you know, speaks, puts his foot in his mouth sometimes, but I thought with Irving and Jordan going over there to mesh with those young guys, they were going to kind of provide some veteran leadership. I thought they're going to be a top three or four, four seed. They picked, you know, Torrey Prince. I thought Jared Allen and Joe Harris and Karis Levert would kind of grow their game. Levert was on the shelf for a lot this year. But, um, yeah, I'm not hiding behind my prediction, but I'm kind of curious to see where this uh, where this franchise goes next year. And, and is Kevin Durant going to come back at 100%? I mean, who knows? Is he going to be the exact same player he was? There's going to be championship aspirations for this team. Whoever, whoever is the coach is going to have a lot of pressure on him because – Everyone next year is going to expect this team to contend for a title with Kevin Durant and Kyrie, regardless of if Durant's 100% or not, or if Kyrie's 100% or not. There's going to be a lot of pressure on this team, and it's going to be a microscope, especially in New York. There's going to be a microscope on this team every single day. And as we've all seen, Kyrie doesn't handle the microscope well at all. <laughs> so I, this, this is shaping up to be one of those – uh, situations where Durant made a decision to come to Brooklyn, but it, this could be a decision that he regrets very, very quickly from leaving the situation he had with Golden State. Yeah, and I mean, speak, speaking on that situation, I mean, those two, drama follows those two wherever they go, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, jump. speaking on Kevin Durant's old team, the Golden State Warriors, uh, Steph Curry returned last Thursday, I believe it was, against the Raptors. Uh, didn't shoot the ball too well, but got his numbers by the end. I think he had 22 points, seven rebounds, yeah. and six assists. Um, it was great. Just, man, when Curry first kind of shot onto the scene, um, his swagger kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I wasn't the biggest fan. And then he kind of just kept getting better and better and better. And just I was like, okay, I can't hate this guy anymore. I'm on, I'm on the bandwagon. Uh, I am now a huge Curry fan. I love the way he plays. Uh, it was just so good and refreshing to see him back out there having fun. And I forgot how good of a passer he was. Just slip pocket passes and swing passes and just how how he really controls the tempo of the game. 
Um, so really good to have him back. I, I don't know if you had any takeaways or impressions, and then also just kind of where where do you maybe see this this thing going with Golden State the next next few years here? Because they're they're over they're going to be over the luxury tax next year. They're going to be paying about 145 million on the tax. Not really a lot of room to move pieces around, but make what you will I, of it. I think this is a team that, uh, as we saw with Curry, you just you see the league needs Steph Curry. I mean, you, you just the energy he brings, the way that at the 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 atmosphere kind of lit up, the way it's fun to watch a Warrior game again um, when when he's playing. I mean, he's a guy that when he's playing, anything can happen at any anything. given moment. He could he could pop up up for a thirty five point three foot three pointer. He can go off for 40, 50 points. Uh, you know, he, it's almost video game like yes. when he's on the court. And I, I can't wait till him and his other splash brother get back on the court. You know, next season, I think this is a team where LeBron obviously missed the playoffs last year with the Lakers. That they could have a similar impact of type the revenge type season where okay, we were out of the picture for one year, but we're going to come back stronger than ever. Um, I think it's going to be much tougher than what they've had when they had KD, but they have potential to be a dark horse championship contender in my eyes. Uh, if they come back fully healthy with staff, clay, uh, Draymond's kind of a shell of himself, but he's still, you know, a good defensive player. They have Andrew Wiggins. They're going to have a lottery pick as well. I mean, that, right. That's going to be another piece. So they're going to be deep. Um, they got Kavon Looney, Jordan Poole, who's played very well in, in the minutes that he's been able to get with all the injuries. Eric Pascal's really shine. So they got guys that they are really starting to discover newfound talent through all these injuries and through all the losses. You know, you really found out that Marquise, Chris, Jordan Poole, Eric Pascal are guys that you could pretty much rely on. Um, next year as kind of role players when Steph and Clay come back. Andrew Wiggins is starting to find himself. Granted, he's getting overpaid way more than what I'm sure they would like, but or he could be a potential trade chip for them, packaging that and a lottery pick um, for maybe another star. There's a lot of things that this Golden State team has proven that nothing is out of the realm of possibility with them as far as trading or signing or anything. Um, they're willing to maneuver, but as far as the anchors of Steph and Clay and Draymond. I think they have the makings of making another run at a title next year. Would I make them the favorites? Absolutely not. But they're a team that can give be a top three seed in the West, and I could see them in the Western Conference Finals next year. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of it was an inadvertent reset, right? I mean, they went to four, five straight finals. Four, four, five. yeah, four straight finals. Four, they five. lost against in 2016. They lost against LeBron. Yeah, 2017 and 18 they won with KD, and then last year obviously losing to Kawhi and the Raptors. Yeah, no five because they beat go they beat Cleveland the first one. They lost to Cleveland the second one. Then they won you're two right, against Cleveland. Right. Yeah, so okay, so, five straight finals, and then you lose Durant. Uh, Clay goes down with a knee injury. Curry gets hurt the first couple weeks of the season. You end up trading D'Angelo Russell. Draymond gets Draymond's hurt as well. Draymond's banged up, and then you kind of you have no choice but to play these young guys. So you start playing Jordan Poole. You find Eric Pascal. Damian Lee seems to be a pretty good player. They they signed Kai Bowman. Um, I think this team, looking at their roster, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Rockets. Um, just kind of a lot of like six four, six six, six seven type swingmen. Uh, I'm very curious to see. As I mentioned, they don't have a lot of flexibility with cap, um, but I definitely see them being a top. I'd say top four or five seed with confidence. Um, it's gonna, you know, they're gonna have to kind of remesh and regel with these new players. But and, I was, and like I said, they got trade chips. You're gonna have a, lot, a top five pick. Uh, in next year's NBA draft, more than likely with the record that they have, along with you never know what team would want to take a chance on Andrew Wiggins, so you could pack well, do you him. Think, do you think they got him to flip him again, kind of like they did Russell, or do you think he's, they're speaking pretty highly of him, do you think he's going to be around for a while? Maybe Kerr sees him as just, is like in Minnesota, he was kind of counted on to be the number two guy and maybe that was too much pressure. Maybe he thinks he puts him in the situation and becomes kind of that three, four guy. 
I don't like know. Harrison, what Harrison Barnes was earlier, right. like you said. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's possible. I mean, like I said, Bob Myers and the Warriors, they, they, they always do the right thing. They, and they do, they always do things that none of us ever see coming. None of us right. ever saw them signing Durant. None of us ever saw them uh, trading uh, for D'Angelo Russell this offseason. None of us saw them trading away D'Angelo Russell for an Andrew Wiggins. So, all these moves usually come out of the blue with them, so I don't put anything past them. The only ones I know that are untouchable are Curry, Steph, and Clay. Um, I could even see him trading away Draymond. I could see him trading Draymond, too. I just got the same thought as you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, other than Steph and Clay, I don't think anyone else is untouchable with this team. So, And when you sweeten that with a lottery pick, there's always teams out there that are willing to dump um, – a team for an extra lottery pick. Like who knows, maybe like, for example, if Bob Myers were to call up the bulls, not saying I would take it, but if they were to offer them, all right, if we get the number one or number two pick in the draft this year, here's uh, the, our pick. Here's some cash. Send us back. Zach Levine. Yeah. You know, or or right. so, some, something like that. I, you know, you never know what this team, so they can make anything work. Anything happen. They can bring in another star. I wouldn't put it past them whatsoever. Um, I just know that for Steph and Clay and how good they were, and even before Katie, when it was just them two and Draymond, they won 73-plus games. Granted, they had a lot more veterans on the team with Iguodala and Sean Livingston, but don't count these guys out. They still have, I think, uh, uh, several years left in their prime, and they were, they're still, I think, in my opinion, top 10 in the league when they're at their best. Yeah, I was I was kind of thinking to myself, I kind of see the Warriors situation next year with all the question marks and the Nets we were just talking about. Um, I see both of these rosters and kind of future Alex for these teams in the same regard. Just you look at the Nets, they have question mark at the coaching position and they have Kevin Durant coming back off the injury next year, Kyrie coming off the surgery. Do you think who do you think is going to be a better team next year, the Nets or the Warriors? I'll want Warriors. Want Warriors? I'll, I'll, I'll go to the sports book and put money on it. I think they win more <laughs> games than they do. Um, but what about but the Nets are playing in the East, though? They are, but the East is getting stronger. I mean, I don't see Toronto going anywhere anytime soon. Giannis will be on the last year of his deal next year with Milwaukee. Uh, you still have the headache of Philadelphia, the Jekyll and Hyde of whatever version we get from them. Uh, Boston is very young. <laughs> so, so they're always going to be in the thick of it. So I, I, and personally, I think it's going to, it's going to be a complete shit show when you talk about uh, the KD and Kyrie dynamic in Brooklyn. I don't think it's going to end well at all for anyone. I think they're going to end up having to blow it up. Um, maybe not next year, but the year after, unless they get a really like legit head coach to come in and get everyone to fall in line. But I even find that hard. If Brad Stevens, a guy like Brad Stevens couldn't get Kyrie Irving to come buy into a team who right. went to the Eastern Conference Finals and forced LeBron to a Game 7, and Kyrie still wanted to do his own thing. If Kyrie wasn't happy after winning a freaking title with LeBron James and going back at it and making another run for it and didn't want to do it again, I, I don't know. He's just so – he's a guy that I think he's one of the few superstars. If I were the Bulls, I wouldn't care to want. I would yeah. not want him on my team. I think if, if Kevin Durant comes back 100% healthy, I mean, it's probably not going to be from game one, but whatever. If he's able to find his rhythm in the first 20 games, I mean, that's going to be a scary sight that the Eastern Conference has never seen. I mean, yeah, if he's 100%, the only player better than him in the East, and correct me if I'm wrong, would probably just be Giannis. Is there anybody that would be better than Kevin Durant at full strength in the Eastern Conference today as, as we stand? Durant at 100% is better than Giannis in my opinion. And he's probably, yeah, you can make that argument too. I, I don't think want to take anything away from Giannis with what he's been doing the last two seasons. I don't want to say it, but if you're going to say it. I'll say it. No problem. Out there. I, I think might. Durant, if, if he's 100%, like you said, no, if he's got, if he's at like 80%, then yeah, of course I'll give it to Giannis. But right. if he's 100% Durant at full strength, i take him over Giannis to, to start a team with, you know, yeah. any day of the week. Right, and that's kind of why I think that the Nets would probably have a better chance to to have a better record than the Warriors next year, just based off. I'm gonna. I know it's a huge wild card, but 
I'm banking on him coming back at at least 85, 90% and just kind of, you know, pairing up with Kyrie and just, I just don't trust Kyrie. I just yeah. don't trust Kyrie at all. Yeah. He's what's, I don't, I don't mind Durant. Durant's got some drama following him, but when it's time to play, he'll play and he'll, he'll light it up. Kyrie's a guy that even when he wins, he's got to win a certain way in order to be happy. It's just like, dude, come on. Isn't that, like, that's, the, that's the best thing about the NBA though. There's always like, the storylines for the season beyond the season actually happening. Like, yeah, we're already, we're talking about <laughs> next year and we're not, we're haven't even gotten into the playoffs yet for this season. Oh man. Well, there's very few leagues like it. Um, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Yeah. I just wanted to let you guys know, you could follow Miguel uh, on Twitter at the underscore M Flores. You could follow myself at NBA house. Uh, we appreciate you guys taking some more time out to tune in with us. And uh, we will be back next Wednesday morning. Thank you guys and have a uh, great day.